Welcome, it's Friday the 29th of January 2021 and this is episode 2 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. This week we're going to be touching on last night's game, we've seen Liverpool return to some resemblance of form. We're also going to be touching on Trent Alexander-Arnold's performance in particular. We're going to cover the centre-back issue that got worse last night and we're also going to be doing our half-season awards. This week, our guest is Steve Carson, a freelance journalist who covers European football, especially Liverpool, but also lots of other topics. Right, so Steve, how are we doing? Okay, happy after last night? Yeah, of course. It was, it was well, it was just nice to see a win, wasn't it? I mean, it's been a, it's been a long time since we've been seeing that kind of performance, about, about two months since I've enjoyed a game of football, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can well imagine. How about you, Dave? How are you doing? Okay. Yeah, big con- big contrast to last week, but uh, I've woken up in a good mood. Actually, actually wanting to talk about football, so that probably bodes well for the podcast. I'd say. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're gonna go straight in now um, to our three word match review. So every week, um, we get our guests and Dave, my co-host, to do a three word match review on what we've seen. Um, so we'll start with you, Steve, if that's okay. That's perfect because I'm I'm kind of uh, nicking it from Klopp uh, in his in his post match he turned down and said that was us. Um, so my three match review is uh, that was Liverpool. You know, um, even even with different players, we've always been a very intense team, and I think last night's performance really reflected that. And it was just nice to see those players again performing at such a high level. Uh, like I say, I've not enjoyed a game for about two months, and it's been about two months since we've looked as good as we did last night. Yeah, 100%. Um, like I touched upon in the intro, um, that was so much more like the Liverpool side we've come used to seeing um, in the past 18 months, which we've been a little bit spoiled by. Like In previous incarnations, this last month or so would have been more normal. But compared to what we have seen, it's we've been a shell until last night. So, yeah, it was, it was much better. Um, and you, Dave, um, your three-word match review? So I was tempted to go for... I love football um, as a direct um, opposite to last week, but I don't want to kind of set a precedent for emotional extremes. So I just went with what a transformation um, because really Liverpool in a lot of their recent matches just haven't looked like scoring. You know, it looked like they could have carried on play until they turned the floodlights off and they still wouldn't have put the ball in the net. Uh, but yesterday, I thought genuinely every time we went forward, we looked like we looked like we could score. And when you watched the United game at the weekend, you thought the signs were there that uh, there was a kind of improvement taking place, and that maybe the worst worst of the slump was over. But that easily could have been a false dawn. You know, we ended up losing that game, uh, but Liverpool made sure that uh, it wasn't a false dawn. And and as Steve said, they were back to you know, something actually resembling their former selves. And it was just really, you know, really satisfying to watch one of, one of my favourite games of the season, for sure. Yeah, just to just to pick up um, on what Steve said there before we move on to mine. So, like Klopp obviously touched upon that being Liverpool. Um, what do you think that all-encompassing statement really means? So, obviously, like I said, we touched on how it's been a shell of its former self in terms of recent weeks, but what was different last night, in particular, that made it more like the Liverpool we've come to know? 
I think I think you're looking at it's like Pep, Pep Linders has said a few times. It's, it's, it's the intensity. You know, every time we went forward, just like Dave's just said there, every time we went forward, we looked like we were going to score. Um, and it's that sort of relentless attitude. And there was the confidence was back as well. And almost almost a cockiness about us, which we haven't seen for a while, because uh, we've had no right to be cocky for a little while, to be honest. But we had that confidence back. Every time we went forward, Trent down the wing, Robbo down the wing. Um, every time Salah and Mane touched the ball, thought something could happen here. And Firmino obviously got a goal, which was which is always great to see. And just like I say, every single time that we moved into their half, we looked like a danger. Uh, and admittedly, there was a few times where that happened to us as well. It looked like it, it could have been a very interesting scoreline in the end, and maybe it should have been. Yeah, definitely. I think in terms of the forward play, there was just a lot more fluidity, a lot more confidence. Confidence is probably the yeah the word I'd use to sum it up. Most of all, to be honest. Um, in terms of mine, I've, I've toyed with a few, but I think ultimately it kind of covers both of yours. I just went with Premier League champions. Because for the first time in quite a long time, that was the first, like, I recognised what we were last season. Um, in terms of defensively, it was still errors, um, and there were still areas where I thought we could do better. But in terms of moving through transitions and getting the ball forward quicker, I thought we were back to what we've seen for the majority of last season in a lot of ways, um, which bodes well, obviously, for what's to come. Um so we'll move on um, to Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, Steve just touched on him there, um, and he was back to what we know last last night, obviously, um, getting a goal as well to boot. Um, so I'm going to go with you, Dave. Just how good was Trent last night? Um, what What's changed from, from recent weeks in his performance there? And on top of that, just to sum up, how important... Has that proven he is to this Liverpool team? Well, for me, it was it was a ten out of ten performance from an attacking right back. Um, you know, he took away that goal very tidily. Um, I think he could easily have snatched at that, maybe put it over the bar or put it wide. Uh, the cross for Mane, um, you could argue Roden could have done a little bit better, but it was one of them where it comes right across the front of the defender. And they're always going to be almost confused how to deal with it. So that that was a really good delivery, I thought. But it wasn't just those two those two goal contributions, really. It was the fact he was unlocking Tottenham with you know a number of incisive balls forward, um, and you know that was really the trend we know and love. And we talked we talked a lot as a fan base about the team needing to enjoy the football again, and that probably applied to Trent. More than more than most players, and you know, we saw last night that he was just expressing himself, and he looked like he was playing without that weight on his shoulders. And obviously, getting that goal, especially, will hopefully boost his confidence for the coming games as well. And in terms of what changed, it's an interesting one because I think there were signs in the last couple of games of a of a slight improvement. Um, but you never really had the sense that Trent was going to gradually return to form, you always had the sense that he was going to exp- kind of explode back into life. Uh, his level his level has dropped, you know, there's no denying that, but he, he's a world-class player and eventually he was going to show that ability again. Obviously, it's all about sustaining that now and pushing up his attacking numbers, which on the whole this season have been, have been below par for a player with his talent. And 
yeah, in the question of how integral he is to the side, I've been saying it all along. It's it's no coincidence that that Trent's dip in form coincided with Liverpool's dip in form. I think for a decent portion of the season, you had Robertson compensated for that in some ways, but he couldn't keep carrying the attack and burden of the fullbacks on his own. And ultimately, you know, Trent's the most prominent creative player in the team, and Liverpool haven't been creating that many high quality chances on the occasion where they have created them. They've obviously failed to put them away, but that that connection, you know, there's bound to be that connection between Trent's form and our form because, you know, he the output last season was ridiculous and it was it was central to us winning the league really. Yeah, it's it's hard to disagree with with any of that sentiment really. Um, just want to I want to get Steve's opinion generally on the question of Trent and how important he is and how good he was etc. But the Andy Robertson one is a really interesting point because. For large parts of the early season, I thought he was probably our best player in terms of certainly in the attacking sense in a lot of ways. And there's a there's a question and there's an argument to say since Trent's returned in the past couple of games, Robertson's influence has gone down slightly. Whereas last season we've seen both of them almost have equal impacts on games. Um, so I just wanted to get Steve's opinion on whether recently only one of them seems to be playing well and the other one's not having the effect that they once were. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd just like to say there that I just found myself nodding to every word Dave's just said then and I was thinking if you ask me the same question, I'm going to have to just repeat what he's just said, to be honest, because yeah, it was all spot on. But, um, yeah, I, it, honestly, over the last few weeks, although um, Trent's form has seemingly dipped, I don't think his actual performances have been that far off what we saw last night. It was just a case of everything kind of just went right last night, whereas the last few weeks it kind of hasn't gone right. Like Trent's been putting in very similar balls, but maybe they've been an inch off. And the finishing just hasn't been there, as, as we know. Uh, the lads haven't been putting the ball in the net. If we if they'd have put some of the balls in the net that Trent was putting in, then we'd be having a bit of a different discussion, I feel. But yeah, I, I agree that when we've watched uh, in recent weeks and Trent's not been up to par for whatever reason, uh, Robbo has stepped up, and I did actually notice that last night uh, in particular. Um, Robertson was a little bit off colour compared to the way he's been recently. So, I mean, it's an interesting point that you make that it only seems to be one of the fullbacks seems to be having great games at the minute. Um, but I think that's probably just a symptom of what we've seen over the last few weeks. It's been a really, I don't know, I imagine it's probably been a somewhat stressful time for the players too because it's it, it becomes mental at that point uh, literally mental um when they can't seem to score they can't seem to get performances i think it was last night the first game in five premier league matches that we'd scored it was like the commentators kept saying it was like about seven hours since our last goal i think those kinds of things and obviously that you know missing van dyke missing gomez um and just things like that in general are going to have an impact uh, on the confidence, but I, I do really think that that kind of thing plays an impact uh, up and down the pitch. So I think different players are feeling it on different days. But um, now, I mean, last night it was good to see Trent back to his usual self, and I think Robbo's slight slight dip uh, it probably isn't something to worry about. No, yeah, I, I tend to agree in the Robertson Robertson point. It was just something I've picked up on the past couple of weeks in particular that we'd seen an improvement in Trent at the same time as Robertson has almost dipped off his incredibly high standards. Um, in terms of Trent, I can only echo everything everyone said there. I thought he was brilliant last night. Just wanted to finish up on that topic, really, something I've been thinking of. It's, it's pretty obvious that we hold Trent 
to a higher standard to most right backs that we've seen certainly in our times, Liverpool fans, but more generally, and he's only still 22. You know, he's a kid still in a lot of ways. You know, he's he's done so much in his short career to date that are we guilty? Certainly this season, this is the first really dramatic drop off we've seen. Are we guilty of criticising too soon, considering what he's done already? I just get your thoughts on that, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I think as a as a fan base as a whole, uh, not indiv- any individual specifically, but as a whole, I'd say we are pretty spoiled. You know, we've um, we've, we've we've effectively uh, Jurgen Klopp's effectively assembled and inherited um, probably the best eleven in the world on on their day, and yeah, the performances that we've seen from Trent, even from a very young age when he first came into the team, you could see he was special. And last season and the season before, he was the best right back in the world. And a player of his age playing that consistently for that long is freakish. You know, it, it's it's kind of he's obviously a generational talent. Um, so yeah, I, I, I definitely would say that anyone who's criticising Trent is probably, you know, everyone's um, everyone can be criticised. There's no no issues with that. If you want to say that Trent's not as good defensively as X, Y, and Z, then that, that's absolutely fine. Um, but yeah, he's like I say, he's a very young player. Um, if somebody came into the team and performed the way Trent did um, in the last few weeks, where he's not been playing too well at the age of 22, typically you'd be going, "Ah, oh, he's he's only young. He'll he'll get rid of those things in his game. You know, give him a couple of years, and he'll he'll be a top class." But we already know that he's he's not top class. He's he's world class. Yeah, I think that final point is a really poignant one on that. If if we just signed him or he just come through the academy and he played like he had done for the first couple of months or whatever this season, there'd be serious questions asked. But because we already know what he's capable of, um, we know he's better than what he's been doing. So it's like he gets criticised overly, in my opinion, for that because he's so good. He was almost that drop off we've seen was almost gonna come at some point. It probably should have happened earlier in his career. If, if that makes sense, but he's been that good for that long that it comes a little bit of a surprise. Um, but anyway, we'll move on now. We'll go on to the million-dollar question in many ways for Liverpool fans. Um, unfortunately, last night's victory, as brilliant as it was in almost every way, was tarnished by arguably two injuries to centre-backs, even though one of them is by trade and midfielder. Fabinho obviously missed the game altogether, was ruled out essentially early on in the day um, with what just seems like a knock, so precautionary. But unfortunately, we lost Joel Matip at half-time. Um, so obviously that tarnished the victory, um, as seems to be the case, like I say, a lot of the time. So now we move on to, I think there's three days left in the transfer window. So do we now expect Liverpool to do something in the remaining three days? I think Klopp for the first time, hinted towards the fact he might have to last night. Um, and what is the most Liverpool can achieve without and with signing a centre-back? So we'll get your thoughts on that, Dave, to begin with. Well, it's interesting that you call it a million-dollar question. <laughs> I think the problem that uh, we have is that we don't seem to have a million dollars to spend <laughs> on uh, on this new centre-back. But, you know, personally, I'm convinced that Liverpool will now seriously explore their options. Uh, I don't know if that's naive at this stage, but that's that's what my expectation is. And, you know, so far, 
Liverpool have kind of adhered to their principles in a very, very rigid way. Um, and Klopp's clearly been told that there's no money available in January and that the club won't entertain short-term solutions. And I think, you know, if you think back to Christmas when Liverpool were top and had, um, you know, a decent margin there, the owners probably maintain confidence that we can sort of make do with the options that we do have. But but now it's literally zero centre-backs. You know, I think that point needs to be stressed. It's literally zero centre-backs that are fit. Um, senior centre-backs anyway. And the massive injury might be serious as well. It's um, it's only nine o'clock on Friday morning when we're recording this, so we don't know the full extent, but ankle ligaments is never going to be good, is it? And I genuinely feel for him because one thing I think we don't really acknowledge enough, probably because he's not playing that much, is that when Massive is playing, even though he's, his form's so disrupted, he, he performs at a world-class level. Um, so it's a real shame not to have to have his body letting him down, really. Um, and w- what we've seen up to this point is, is almost blind stubbornness from Liverpool. But I'd say that goes a step further and becomes outright lunacy if they don't you know, sort out a deal for a centre-back now. Um, and I don't quite think we're that stupid. And there was a quote from Klopp after the match yesterday, which I've got in front of me. He said, you can imagine we think about everything the whole time. It's about doing the right thing. I'm not picky, but we need to find the right player. And for me, that says we are going to we are gonna look, we are going to try. In terms of finding the right player, um, there's not going to be a wealth of options at this stage. It's late in the window. And there's... Negotiations might be more difficult than we realise. Obviously, there's loan fees and salary splits that have to be struck. And there isn't going to be a perfect option. Any single centre-back you can pick out now that's available, I think, is going to have a flaw. That means they're maybe not perfectly suited to Liverpool. But ultimately, if you're telling me we can't find someone that will improve and rebalance the squad that we have now, I just I just don't buy that. I don't believe you. Yeah, it's perfectly obvious that after last night in particular, because like you say, the massive one, although we don't know how bad it looked, the um, prognosis after the game didn't sound particularly particularly promising. Um, so just from you, Steve, I mean, you can touch on the same sort of things if you wanted, but wh- who, not necessarily who, but what type or sort of ilk of transfer do you expect Liverpool to pursue? Because obviously they could bring forward summer targets potentially which we kind of already knew were in the pipeline it could bring them moves forward there's free agents potentially available um, and obviously there's loan signings but I mean personally I would just take anything at this stage because I think like Dave touched on going into you know the crunch part of the season now with no fit senior centre-backs is is insane it's, it's just insane you can't you can't even fathom doing that to be honest so yeah, obviously you can touch on the, the more general situation, but more who do you expect us to go and try and, or what type of player to try and sign now? Yeah, like you say, it would be, uh, it'd honestly, it'd be stupid if we didn't do anything in the sense for window now. Um, I mean, in terms of what kind of deal we could pursue, I mean, you're looking at FSG inquired about Socrates um, when he got, you know, when his contract at Arsenal ended. Um, so that that was obviously something. Uh, I don't, we don't know the full extent. This was a report in the Athletic, by the way. Don't know the full extent that um, Liverpool went into in terms of the inquiry, but at least they contacted him. And why would you do that unless you had some sort of interest in, you know, 
going for. I mean, obviously he's gone back to his homeland of Greece, so I imagine he was. They were probably told, "Oh, I'm heading back home," you know, to go play for Olympiakos. Um, so in, in terms of what kind of deal we could go for, I mean, we're looking at a few years back, you know, different ownership. We're looking at um, Kyriakos and we're looking at um, Stephen Corker. Um, obviously, they both had quite different uh, times at Liverpool, but I think uh, they're the kinds of, you know, cheap fixes we need to go for. Like, uh, Kyriakos was a very small um, purchase. I think he was £2 million, which is obviously relatively cheap for Liverpool. And uh, Corker was a loan deal. Um, but I think there's uh, one that really stands out to me and I wrote an opinion piece on it a couple of days ago and it's it's um, very similar to Socrates um, but you've got Subotic who's um, recently just left his, his, his old side in Turkey who I, I forget the name of I'll be honest but he um, terminated the contract about a week and a half ago and um, he's a free agent and the way I see it, and I'm just going to use Subotic as like the face of this idea because there's going to be more free agents out there. There's going to be more loan deals available, but Subotic might not be perfect. You know, he's over the hill, uh, but is he a better centered half than Jordan Henderson? Yes, probably. Uh, although Henderson did play very well last night, you know, nine times out of 10, a centered half is going to be better playing centered half than Jordan Henderson. Uh, and Jordan Henderson is needed in midfield. Um, if Fabinho is able to come back soon as well, Fabinho playing alongside a centre half is, is is ideal. Um, but you know, ideally we'd sign about four or five centre halves so Fabinho can play in midfield again. Um, so I think in terms of what kind of deals we need to be pursuing, considering uh, the owners don't seem to want to be want to want to be splashing the cash this month too much, it's got to be the cheapest deals. It's got to be the loan deals. Um, and like Dave says, they're all going to cost some money and there's going to be some way that they're not going to suit Liverpool. But as long as they can just play centre-half for six months, that's all we need them to do. And players like Sabotic, who are now 32, he's sort of thinking about maybe the end of his career. He was playing in Turkey. You say to him, six months at Liverpool, you could win a trophy. I think he's probably going to snatch your hand off. I'll let you come in on this in a second, Dan, because I know... You like the idea of Subotic or maybe someone younger like like Sven Botman, but I was just sort of thinking as Steve spoke there and said, "Is is Nevin Subotic a better centre back than Jordan Henderson?" And that's one of those phrases that if you took it out of context at the start of the season, you think, "How how has it possibly come to, to come to that being the discussion point?" And you know, Liverpool fans don't want to be talking every single day about which new centre back, you know they're going to sign or which or whether the club's going to do any business at all you know this realistically should have been done right at the start of the window and in all honesty the damage that we've sustained in January might already be too much in terms of the title race you know it's it's not for definite but that's a possibility that we have to accept so I, I don't want to be sitting here on the 29th of January and didn't expect to be still talking about a new centre-back but unfortunately that's what it's come to because of Liverpool's kind of, as I said before, just the rigid adherence to the principles that we have, which might cost us. No, I think that's a very salient point in terms of nobody expected to be comparing um, somebody who went on a free to Turkey to Jordan Henderson in terms of how capable they are of playing centre-half at this point in the season. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm on board with the Subotic um, link, not link, but suggestion, because... 
he's worked with Klopp before. I think, like Steve touched upon, if you offered him six months just to come and hopefully stay fit um, and head and kick balls away for us, and then I think he'd bite your hand off. I think most most players would in world football, to be honest, in terms of, of that ilk, in terms of where they are in their career. Um, yeah, I'm also... I'm also open to the idea of revisiting, well, potentially revisiting a Sven Botman type of deal, purely because we all know the, the finances in France aren't great at the moment. Um, FSG, historically, although they don't particularly like going into the market without selling players beforehand in particular, and that is their model, and it's worked perfectly well up till now. And there's potential there to do a relatively cheap deal for somebody who has a pretty high ceiling in terms of he's young, you know, he started well, both with Ajax and now Lille. So I can, I hope potentially we could see some of the more interesting targets looked upon in the next few days um, in terms of what they might have been trying to do in the summer instead. And that might be wishful thinking and a loan move or a free agent might be more realistic, um, especially given how little time there is left in the window. Um, but yeah, the, the, the case in point here is we have to sign one because without one, we're looking at Reese Williams, who's had his day um, in terms of he's done okay at times. Um, Nat Phillips, I've actually been quite impressed with. But um, yeah, in terms of Steve brought us into the next bit quite nicely in terms of Fabinho back into midfield, I've been banging that drum um, for so long. And the same goes for Henderson, obviously. Because the two of them are so influential in midfield that it, we look, we have looked until last night a little bit lost about them. The, the driving force in midfield just hasn't been there. Fabinho's one in, one of the best in the world in that position. So to drop him back because of the defensive injuries is just a double blow, if you like. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see us sign a couple of centre halves for that reason. Whether it be one loan, one permanent transfer, then that would be the ideal scenario for me. Um, but yeah, I think we're pretty much ready to move on to the uh, half-season awards at this stage. Um, it should have been done a week ago, but given the moves Liverpool fans are in, generally speaking, it wasn't really the time. So we've done it after a victory instead. Thankfully, we weren't waiting that long because it could have been a bit embarrassing doing half-season awards after 31 games or something. But here we are. So I'll come to you first, Steve. Um, we'll grab the first couple and then we'll get Dave and then we'll move on from there. So the first couple we're going to go with from you are just the best player of the season so far and the best performance um, so far from the, from the team as a collective. Player of the season, I think, um, I think there's two. I think, um, I think our best player has probably been Salah, um, whereas I think our most important player has probably been Fabinho. But um, I think that probably goes without saying at this point because without him, we wouldn't have had a defence. Um, so I think just it's difficult to choose between the two of them. Um, I think if I if I was to say Fabinho, uh, you know, Salah deserves it. If I said Salah, Fabinho deserves it. But I'm gonna say Salah um, purely because Salah performs at a level where we expect him to do what he does. So when he does slightly less than what he normally does, we think he's playing quite poorly. When he's he's still quite clearly performing at, at a level of the best winger in the league by far. So I'm going to give it to Salah uh, in terms of my player of the season. And I'm going to just, you know, point to the uh, the goal scored on shots to, to, for proof of that. And in terms of game, um, I, th I, I mean, 
obviously we, we battered Palace, but I'm going to ignore that one. Uh, that one's too easy, I think. I'm going to go with Leeds, uh, opening day of the season, when we won 4-3. I think um, everything about it was just perfect. It's more a case of my enjoyment of the game than actually technically a brilliant performance by Liverpool, because obviously we conceded three. But, um, you know, it was just champions versus champions, first day of the season, old rivals back at Anfield, Salah Hatchdick. It just had everything. It really got me ready for the season. Um, and then, obviously, almost immediately after that, I was starting to get let down. I think the Salah one's a really interesting point. Um, it, obviously, it's a, it's a great shout, and he's more than, more than deserving. Um, of a mention, if not the award of it, but the, he almost gets disregarded in a lot of circles, um, and I'm not quite sure why. Like, if you look at certain polls and what have you on Twitter, even now, they tend to forget about him. And there's always that old thing whereby people say, "Oh, he's got the most this and that." Apart from Salah, it's constantly apart from Salah, and that is still the case. And yet, people people tend to forget. I don't know if it's because he's been that good since he came in, or or we've got such high expectations that when he does dip slightly below him, like you say, that we just tend to think he's awful. But his numbers and his his output is crazy, week in, week out, essentially. Um, and as for the Leeds game, I mean, in terms of a spectacle, it's hard to disagree. Um, whether those of a defensive-minded fondness would agree is a different question. But, yeah, in terms of a spectacle and getting the season going, it was, uh, it was some game. So the same two for you, Dave. Um, best player of the season so far and um, Liverpool's best performance slash best game we've been involved in. Yeah, I have to echo what's been said about Salah. I think Steve makes a very good point there in terms of the very high bar of expectations that he faces. And I think what, what sort of emphasises it for me is when I wrote down my options for this pick, I almost looked at Salah as a slightly left-field one, and maybe that's just me, but it seems that Salah almost, because, again, it's kind of automatic what the expectations are. He never really gets like the credit he deserves and wouldn't necessarily be considered for, for this. Um, in the interests of variation, because it's good, obviously, if we have kind of different picks, um, I, I, will, I will go for Fabinho, because, you know, he's mastered two positions, really, and I think, you know, for a player to perform at a world-class level as a defensive midfielder and as a centre-back, you know, you're looking at a very select group of, of players throughout sort of modern football history, really, you've done that. And, you know, this I've been absolutely seamless transition. And, you know, Van Dijk's the, the best defender on the planet and one of the best defenders that the Premier League's ever seen. And ultimately, the loss of him hasn't actually affected Liverpool too much purely in terms of the numbers of goals that they concede and the level of solidity that we've seen from Fabinho is a, a massive, massive factor in that. And for a player who is a defensive midfielder by trade to be performing, you know, among the top three centre backs in the league is is pretty mind boggling, really. So, you know, you know, Steve mentioned him, we can't really overlook him. Best performance. Leeds is an interesting shout because, you know, it's more of a, a tactical battle, really. Um, I was actually tempted to say last night, but that is, you know, absolutely reeks of recency bias, so I won't do that. I've, I've gone instead for the, the 5-0 win against Atalanta uh, in the group stages. 
Um, you know, when you consider that they reached the quarterfinals of the Champions League the previous season and they're a su- superbly well-coached team and they kind of specialise in embarrassing top sides. And I remember reading before the game all the, these articles about how they sort of attack in, in, uh, in quadrants or triangles and I was, I was almost daunted by it thinking, oh, I hope they don't pick Liverpool apart. But in the end, you know, we made it look like men against boys in that game. And obviously you had you had Jota scoring a hat trick. I actually watched the uh, the highlights of the game last night in in sort of preparation to reflect on it, and it made me realise how, how much I missed Diego Jota. But you know, even defensively, you had uh, I think Reese Williams had a very solid game there alongside Joe Gomez, and that was just probably the most enjoyable game to watch because um, you know Liverpool were just on song, and you know certainly I think I said at the time one of the best away performances of, of, of Klopp's whole reign. Yeah, I think the Atalanta game um, was probably the most complete performance we've put in this season. Um, but like you say, even you mentioned it there, made me remember and miss Diogo Jota in the same in the same sentence. So uh, I'm not quite sure when he's back, but I'm um, relishing the day because the impact he had and the option he gave us was... A surprise in many ways to me, to be honest. When we signed him, I was obviously I was impressed because I like what he did at Wolves, but I didn't expect him to have the influence that he did. Um, I'm glad you both mentioned Fabinho in passing because it would have been a miss of us not to do so. Um, but I'm going to go against myself in many ways from earlier on and go with Andy Robertson, purely because I think up until arguably last night, he's probably been our most consistent player. Um, and essentially ever present if he has missed minutes it's not many Um, and I just think he's been outstanding when Trent was struggling earlier on in the season he was almost a constant in terms of being the threat to make up for Trent down the left I thought he was thought he was brilliant Um, his work rate and energy is is scary like how he doesn't need more of a rest more often I hope I'm not cursing him here um, is is unbelievable. And the same could be said for Ryan Alden, although he doesn't get the plaudits he deserves. But in terms of reliability, you know, his body up until this point, again, thank God, has been outstanding for us this season, whilst others around him, as we know, have struggled to have struggled to keep up with the pace. So, yeah, Andy Robertson for me, in terms of best player so far. And performance, I'm going to go with the 4-0 at home to Wolves. Because... And Wolves are on a dip, really, since they lost Jimenez. But prior to that, I think they're a really decent side and we've really struggled to come past them in recent seasons. So that night, I was a little bit concerned about what could happen um, because players like Traore terrify me because he's so difficult to stop. But I think we had Nico Williams up against him at times and he was brilliant. I think just all around, similar to the Atlanta game, I thought we were, I thought we were outstanding that night. Um, against a very decent Wolves side. So, yeah, that'll be my two. So, we'll move back to you, Steve, now, and we're going to go with the most improved player of the season so far and the best goal of the season so far. I think I'll actually start with goal, if that's if that's all right. And uh, it's actually funny that you, you, you said before, Dave, that you watched the highlights of the Atalanta game, because uh, so did I, because uh, I had to remember some of the goals that were scored, because I... I'd honestly forgotten a few of them, uh, maybe because it had been a while. Um, and the goal uh, that I'm going to pick, I think, because I've got two in mind, um, 
again, it, it, it's kind of down to one's technical, one's how much I enjoyed it. Um, I think Jota's goal against Atlas Atalanta, uh, the one, I think it, it might have been Trent who whipped it across, and uh, Jota controlled it with his left, took it inside, and then smashed it into the bottom left corner with his right foot, and I just thought, technically, that's that's a brilliant goal, and if I remember correctly, it won our goal of the month, uh, if I remember correctly, but I could be wrong there. And the other goal is um, Firmino's against Spurs, but not last night, the one at Anfield, um, purely because of the celebration. I think it was a very emotional celebration. It had been a while for Firmino to score, and you know, it, you could just see it in his face. He ran towards the fans in the cough. Obviously, it's been a rarity that we've had um, people attending games in uh, in recent months. And to see him celebrating like that, such it reminded me of a, a few years ago, Stephen Gerrard scored against Everton and he ran towards the corner flag and he just had these crazy eyes on him with his arms out wide. And I thought, there's the same sort of passion for scoring for Liverpool that I've just seen there. And it was just... That it was just really enjoyable to see, but in terms of a, a technical goal, I think we're talking Jota versus uh, Atalanta, the one where he shifts onto his right and then smashes bottom left. I thought it was a very tricky thing to do, uh, even a player of his level. Either that or um, Salah's goal against Atalanta. There's a few I could pick from Atalanta. To be fair, Salah picked up the ball in in our half, and there was it was a counter attack, so there was two defenders he had to deal with, and he just sprinted to the other end of the pitch and then just swept the ball past the goalkeeper like it was nothing. And, you know, like, like they touched upon there, this is Atalanta. This isn't like, we're not playing some random team in the Europa League. This is one of the best teams in Italy. Um, most improved player. Um, trying to get me, me head into that space, really, because in the last few weeks, I've been looking at players that have, you know, got worse. Um, I think I'm not going to include... Um, Jota, because I think Jota's actually improved from last season, of course. But um, I'm, I'm going to say Fabinho. And it's, it, it touches upon what you said before, that he's mastered two positions. Um, he's, he's, he's maintained that level of performance, maybe even slightly gone a, a little bit better in some cases. And he's playing in a different position, which I think is just incredibly difficult for him to do, even though he's got the skill set to play centre-half. I think it's unbelievable what he's doing this season. Um and across the pitch, I can't really pick anybody that's improved on last season. Uh, I'm impressed by uh, Curtis Jones. He's came in and he's he's filled the role a few times, and you know he's he's done a really good job. And he's a very exciting player of his age as well. So yeah, I think he's definitely worth a mention. But for me, it would be yeah, it would be Fabinho. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's all all pretty fair enough to be honest with you. Um, I mean, in terms of sheer joy, I don't think any Liverpool fan would have celebrated a goal more than that Firmino one. Um, obviously, at the time, the game was massive. I think it was first versus second at the time. Bang moments. And, and just for the fact it was Firmino, who is coming for a little bit of criticism for lack of goals. Um, so to see him <laughs> do a 90, 100-yard sprint to the cop, was um was quite the moment. So uh yeah, Dave, the same two categories for you. Um most improved player and uh goal of the season so far. Yeah, um I'll I'll start with, with goal as well. Um and I think Steve's right, there's a lot of different criteria you can sort of rank rank a goal by. Um you can rank it by, you know, the the sort of celebration you have afterwards, the quality of the build up or just 
you know, it can be a long range where it's just a kind of an outrageous finish. Um, so it is difficult to pick one. And the one I initially had written down was Wijnaldum's goal against against Wolves, um, which I think might have been the fourth goal where he, he killed it in from the edge of the box. And part of the reason I chose that was because I think I'm right in saying that was the first game where we had fans back at Anfield. And a goal like that, I think, in front of the cop just just capped it off, really. It was it was a brilliant finish. And um, it was a, a game that kind of I'll remember very fondly as a sort of it was sort of a, just a very joyful occasion really in, in quite in quite dark times um but i think i'll go for the Firmino goal against palace which comes at the end of the counter attack where Firmino picks the ball up inside his own half plays an outside of the foot pass out to robertson um perfectly for meters run on the left hand side robertson takes a few touches that down the wing and then returns the favor to Firmino with sort of a low, a low whipped ball, and then Firmino controls it. Keeper comes out, and he just sort of knocks it in with the side of his foot. I think that's just—it's just perfectly measured on 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 both counts with those passes, and you know, just a just properly clinical counter attack goal. So yeah, I think from a, a technical standpoint, I probably go for that just because you know that's um, probably the the outstanding goal for me. Most improved player. Um, I think Fabinho is an interesting show. It's actually not really one that I consider, but I can certainly see the logic there. Uh, Jota was one I considered because of how he was sort of an inconsistent player at Wolves, really, and he went to a frightening level of consistency for us. But yeah, I've got I've gone for Curtis Jones because you know it's really struck me how much he stepped up this season in his level, and he's really gone from this kind of future future star um, on the fringes getting cup games to a genuinely valuable member of the squad and um, and yeah so I'd, I'd go I'd go for Jones I think he's he's really the outstanding one in, the, in that particular category yeah you've um, you've stolen my thunder there unfortunately on two of the counts um, yeah I had Firmino but I'll go with um, Salah's goal in the in the match that you picked out before against Leeds the, uh, the volley so touch and volley instant I mean, technically speaking, you know, it was it was simply a cross into the box that happened to break for Salah. But in terms of the strike, keeping your knee over the ball, and it was past the keeper before he even moved, essentially. Um, and I think it won our goal of the month for September. So, yeah, the Salah against Leeds. It was a great game of footy, and it was some some strike. Um, and the most improved player was a really difficult one. Um, I think all the options you've touched upon are... Are worthy, um, and Curtis Jones probably would have been <laughs> mainly because he's one of the few out and out youngsters who's been getting regular game time um, and impressing. Even though I think he had a bit of a dip, and he was pulled out of the team for a couple of weeks recently, but in in some big games he's been outstanding this season, and I thought he did well again when he came on last night. Um, but for the for the reason of being different, um, I'm going to go back to Robertson. It's difficult because he's been he's been outstanding um, for almost since day one since he came in, but I think this season in particular, defensively, and in terms of consistency, he's just been another level again. If I'm honest, whilst those around him have tended to struggle a bit more than they have done, um, I think Robertson has improved yet again this season, um, which takes some doing from from the level he was at, but we've seen 
almost everyone have, have genuine dips in form this season, probably apart from Robertson. So I think I'd have to go for him on that one, um, which is a very difficult shout. And the likes of Curtis Jones, like you mentioned, you know, probably deserve to win it outright if we're honest. But yeah, I think um, I think I'd go with Andy Robertson, which brings us nicely onto Sunday, where we travel to High Flying West Ham, which was a difficult game anyway, um, with them playing so well of late um, and looking like a really difficult team to beat. But obviously, with our injury concerns compiled by Matip and Fabinho in the last twenty-four hours. Um, it's looking even harder. But we remain positive um, and we're going to get some preferred 11s for the game and just a brief look at what you think might happen and how it might pan out. Um, so we'll come to you first, Dave, on this. That's OK. Um, so yeah, your starting lineup and just a general preview of the West Ham game. Well, you know, it's vital that Liverpool start to build some momentum now. And as you say, it's going to be a very tricky game against probably one of the most informed teams in the league. Um, so, you know, in an ideal world, we'd have a, a new centre-back we could we could call upon in this situation. But even if we were to tie up a deal in the next day or so, it's it's going to come too soon. So I've gone for um, a pretty, a mostly self-explanatory team, really. Um, Alisson in goal, Trent, Phillips, Henderson and Robertson at the back. Robertson, who Dan slandered and then, proceeded to praise in, in two more discussions. Um, but yeah, Phillips and Henderson are an ideal centre-back pairing, but Phillips was, I think, man of the match when West Ham came to Anfield. Different kind of test against Antonio, but, um, you know, I've got I've got confidence in him. I think that he's, he's a solid player. Um, midfield, I've gone for Wijnaldum as the six, again, Thiago. And then I've gone for Jones because, not, not that I think Milner deserves to be dropped, but it's important to have some measured rotation, I think, because of the sort of intensity of the fixer schedule. And then I've gone for Salah, Firmino, Mane, front three. Yeah, just to pick up on the Robertson comment, <laughs> I mean, you're dead right. I um, criticised him early doors, but that wasn't me criticising him essentially. That was just a general observation. Um, but you're right, I have completely turncoated on myself during this podcast. Um, I'll get Steve's thoughts, but just to pick up on the Nat Phillips comment, in terms of including him, he's probably the one out of him and Reese Williams who's probably most deserving of a little run in the side. I think he was outstanding against West Ham first time around. And again, last night when he came on, even though he was booked early on, I thought he was brilliant. So there's definitely a case for giving him a run alongside a centre-half of some description. Who that is, we, we don't quite know. But um, yeah, so I'll get your, your team, Steve, and just how you think the match might go in general. Yeah, I mean, just just first there on on Nat Phillips is uh, I do think uh, I do think he's actually a better player than Reese Williams. Um, I mean, give it a few years when Reese is Nat's age, that might be a bit different. You never know. But uh, yeah, I, I do think I do think Nat is the the better option. Obviously, he's got experience playing in Germany as well, which is a uh, handy to have. Where obviously Williams has got experience playing in the lower leagues in England. Um, but to get to my eleven, it's uh, it's very similar to uh, to what we've just heard. It's uh, Allison in goal. It's a back four of Robertson, Henderson, Phillips, and Trent. Um, I believe that last night's performance has probably filled Klopp with a bit of faith 
in Phillips, which I think is very important at the minute. We seem to be talking about confidence a lot, and I think he's going to be a bit confident in Phillips putting in a better performance than what we've seen from Williams. Um, seems harsh to criticise Williams because uh, of the position that he's been put in, but it is the position that we're in. You've got to talk about which which players are playing better, and I think Phillips is is the player. Um, my midfield is is almost the same. Um, I've got Genie playing in the as the six. Uh, and Thiago playing as eight, because I think last night really showed that when he's given that extra bit of license to go forward, he really comes in, in, into his proper game. Uh, and I've gone with Milner uh, instead of Jones. Uh, I, I do agree that we need uh, rotation going on. But with the way West Ham are playing, I think we need to put forward what I believe is our best team. And I think with the way West Ham play, it's a very, um, very physical uh, the, 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 there's going to be a big midfield battle. And I feel like in that scenario, we're going to need someone like Milner instead of uh, Jones. Uh, but I, I definitely could see Jones coming off the bench. Uh, I don't see Milner playing the full 90. Uh, I don't think he's been playing regularly enough to just come in and play t- you know, two games so quickly like that. So I, I do expect Jones to come off the bench. Um, and you never know. I mean, Naby Keita might make a random... Uh, reappearance. We've not seen him for a while, uh, even at the training centre. But Klopp's said he's only got a minor injury, but that was about a month ago. So I, I don't even I don't know what's going on there. Anyway, uh, the front three picks itself. Uh, I don't really see us weakening our team in any way. So it's going to be Mane, Firmino, and Salah. Yeah. Again, um, I'm not going to go through my team because it's identical to Steve's. Um, I think the Milner point is a really interesting one um, in terms of fitness. I think if he's ready to go again, I'd definitely use him because up against Rice and Suchek for West Ham, it's going to be important to match them. And I think Milner is probably the man for that job. I also think that we'll see a lot more rotation in midweek against Brighton. Um, Whether that includes Naby Keita is a different story because his appearance in this podcast is almost as unexpected as his actual appearances on the pitch. Because as much as I quite race the man, his um, his availability is is diabolical, but yeah, I've gone for exactly the same eleven. So I think it's going to be a very difficult game, um, but I think we need to go full strength and try and build up some sort of momentum. Um, essentially, building up to the City match in a couple of weeks, um, or not even that now, because if we can pick up potentially maximum points or or near enough before that, then you know you never know. We we beat them suddenly. We're back in back in the shout and hopefully with a centre back by that point as well. Um but yeah, I think I think that's pretty much all all we've got time for this week. So I'm just gonna give Steve the um the opportunity to plug any work he's got going on or you know people he writes for and what he's doing in the meantime. Um and yeah if you could also um yeah just do, do give us a good minute of what he's got going on and plug anything he's he's got coming up. Appreciate that. Yeah, um, well, I'm as, as I mentioned at the top of the, the podcast, I'm a freelance journalist. I currently do uh, work mainly for um, the blog Empire of the Cop. Um, I work for them now on a full-term basis, so I do a lot throughout the week with them. Um, I'm sure you can find them on Twitter and Facebook pretty easily, but if you want to find me specifically for some reason, uh, you can find me at SJR. Well, that's all from this week. Um, We'll be back on Friday to reflect on Brighton um, and look ahead to the City game, which is uh, potentially massive. So that's all from me, Dan Club, and Dave Comford, and our guest, Steve Carson, this week. 
This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.